Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Henry, the Patriots really did it to me. At halftime, I go on my Twitter and I say, look, you can't come to Foxborough, kick a bunch of short field goals, and think you're going to leave with a win. You just can't do it. I was ripping the Broncos, ripping Vic Fangio, and then what do you know? The Broncos kicked six field goals, and the Patriots let them win after only scoring 18 points. I still cannot believe what I saw. Yeah, I believed it as I was seeing it, sort of different from from your perspective. Yeah, We just saw an offense. The Patriots occasionally do this sort of thing where they watch an offense struggle so much against their defense that they don't worry about needing to score more points because they have sort of full faith that their defense can hold the opposing offense. So that was basically what happened with the Broncos. They had enough faith in their defense, which has been really good all year. Even with the injuries, they've been they've been quite good. It's just that their quarterback play has, has been so bad that it, that it makes everyone sort of look bad. But yeah, they, they trusted their defense, and Cam Newton was bad enough that that, that trust was founded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I want to get a little bit more to Rusty Cam Newton and the uh, practiceless Patriots a little bit later on. But, you know, the the main storyline that I think has come out of Sunday, my friends were texting me. It was all over Twitter. It seems like it was all over Boston Sports Radio. And it's this decision by Belichick to go for too early with 831 left in the game. So I'm sure everyone knows the situation by now. I'll repeat it really quick. Newton scores the touchdown run. Finally, the Patriots score a freaking touchdown, right? Newton scores the touchdown on third and goal, makes it 18 to 9 with 831 remaining. I think the Patriots had two timeouts at the time because they had burned one on defense earlier on. And Belichick decides to go for two points there. He decides to go for two points early. You need the two point conversion either way, right? Even if you kick the extra point to make it eight points, you still need the two point conversion. Belichick with 831 remaining would rather know whether he made the two point conversion. He'd rather know if it was successful, right, Henry? That's that's where the analytics come in. It's like he wants to know, okay, are we going to get the two or are we not? We get a chance to learn that. Now we know how many scores we really need to win the ball game. Mike McCarthy made the same call when the Cowboys made that ridiculous comeback against the Falcons. He needed a lot of things to go right after they missed that early two-pointer, including the onside kick. But still, I think that Belichick made the right call. All my friends, the guys on the broadcast, Boston Sports Radio this week, everyone thinks Belichick was an idiot for doing that. I actually think he made the right call. What do you think? There's two philosophies here that the Patriots could have employed. They can they can do sort of like the time-honored wisdom, which is that you don't go for two until you absolutely know that you have to. Um, and so the Patriots, so people are arguing that the Patriots could have gotten seven with a point after attempt rather than two-point conversion, and then they're down eight points and have the opportunity to – then basically force themselves into sort of like a gung-ho, go for it on every fourth down scenario, mm-hmm. and then go for two at some point. And I guess so, the other argument, too, is you're putting pressure. You're, I've heard the argument that you're putting pressure on the Broncos now because they feel like it's a one-score game. But it's really a touchdown two-point conversion game. So I don't really – you still – that two-point conversion, as you've said, the percentages are tough on that. So I don't know if I agree with it, but go on. Yeah, definitely. The, I think there's a mental hump on both sides. There's like – 
a mental home for the offense too because they're like wow like we really have to every down counts all of a sudden now there's no there's no wiggle room so i think the scenario where it becomes difficult is the one that came on the following drive where the patriots had to kick a field goal in our real life scenario but in the scenario where they had gone for a point after attempt they now have to convert a fourth and five and the patriots offense just like wasn't good on sunday period and a fourth and five is actually like a tough down in distance for them to convert Mm -hmm. so i don't like their chances in that situation basically because cam newton's been so bad throwing the ball and the running backs have been so inefficient so they're they're left with really like putting Cam Newton in a passing situation where maybe he can scramble, but the pocket's collapsing so much that it's got to be a quick pass and to someone who gets open. And Newton wasn't throwing those quick passes well. He said it himself. His anticipation was off. So you're putting yourself into a situation where you have to convert fourth downs in do-or-die scenarios, whereas what the Patriots picked was to go for two so that they then have a sort of downhill journey to the comeback where they don't feel like they're in, like, as much of a pressure situation, higher probability past that point. Now, they did not convert it, so they were in sort of like a lower probability. But what Belichick said recently in a Patriots.com video with Scott Zolak was, when you make these decisions, you make them with the knowledge of how many drives you think you have left. So Belichick must have thought he had two drives left, which is what happened. Right. You know, the Patriots generated two turnovers in a short period of time. And that was enough for them to at least have the proper number of drives to mount a comeback. So they got the field goal on the first one, and then they were 24 yards short of a touchdown on the following drive. But there was still a minute left on the game, so it was only on offensive inefficiency and not clock management right. that stopped right. them from right. scoring. Oh, they had plenty of time. They just couldn't get the first down, Henry, right? So that's what it was. Right. So Belichick figured, in my mind, he figured, look, this we we're going to need the foresight for an offense that's just not clicking. We're going to need the foresight of what the scenarios will be going forward. So he just decided, I'm just going to go into this knowing what I need rather than trying to defer a tough decision. That's what I needed from you, Henry, because exactly. That was my whole point. There was enough time on the clock with two timeouts that Belichick knew he'd get multiple possessions back or he figured he would he he computed he would in real time and that's what it is and and that's why he made the decision and i think it was the right call so i'll, I'll definitely show all this podcast to to all my friends and school them thank you henry i appreciate that i needed that i needed that so uh, <laughs> so we'll pick this conversation up on the other side and also talk about bill belichick he kept saying this thing over and over in his post game presser i'll play that sound and, and henry and i will react to it coming up next Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week number seven. Quarterback Joe Burrow versus the Cleveland Browns. These teams met in week two, and if you'll remember, Burrow threw 61 times. Don't expect that in this one, but he finished with 316 yards and three scores. Those numbers are just slightly better than what is being allowed by Cleveland on the year at 290 and just over two touchdowns. Approaching 303 is within reason, but be very happy with 280 and two. Running back Latavius Murray of New Orleans St. 
Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans is fresh off of their bye, and they face a defense that has given up eight rushing touchdowns in six games, plus allowing more than 100 yards per game on the ground to the position. While the scoreboard usually dictates Murray's role in the offense, he has seen at least 10 touches in each of his last three games and in four of the five contests that he's played this year. Carolina is dreadful against running backs. Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions faces the Atlanta Falcons on the road. While Jones has been awfully silent of late, producing only 17 yards in his last two games combined, and he has no touchdowns with Kenny Galladay in the lineup, there's still upside here. Atlanta has given up the fifth most points in both prominent fantasy football scoring systems. Most of the damage has come via being the second worst defense for yardage and the seventh for catches allowed. This game also has a potential for a shootout given how poor Detroit's defense has played most of the season. Another player who at one point was featured prominently in fantasy football, Evan Ingram, the tight end for the New York Giants. On Thursday night, he travels to Philadelphia for a top six matchup in all meaningful statistics for fantasy. This defense has given up the fourth most catches, sixth most yardage, and sixth highest touchdown efficiency rating. It hasn't been pretty for the Giants, especially for Ingram. At some point, it's going to click, and gamers have to be ready to take the chance and not miss out on such a premier matchup. For more fantasy football news and advice, make sure to check out thehuddle.com. Yeah, well, it was a big challenge, you know, playing without guys, getting guys hurt, moving around, and some guys that, you know, haven't played together much, haven't practiced together much, so uh, we, we need to get on the field, we need to practice, we need to we need to develop some continuity as a team, but especially there. Might be the same question, Bill, but did you feel like your guys were rusty today, in particular, um... Did you think Cam, you know, it was just going to be a little difficult for him to get things going given how long he'd, he'd missed some time? Yeah, I think I just answered that right at the beginning. We, we need more time together. We need to practice together. We need to execute and, you know, do everything better. No question about that. Would you, would you say anything more specifically just on Cam having him back, uh, just what you thought of his game today? It's the same for everybody on the team. Nobody's practice. I mean, we we all need, we all need. Like I said, we all need to to do more, practice more, and need to get our execution levels up a lot higher. All right, Henry. I just, I think you see what's coming here. I, I just, I didn't like that. I didn't like Belichick repeating that. We need to practice. We need to practice. We haven't practiced. We haven't practiced. We need to. You know what I mean? Like I, we get it, Bill. We know it didn't affect the Titans. The Titans figured it out. They still look good. I get it. I know there's some adversity, and some of that was beyond the Patriots' control. Some of that can be blamed on the league. I would just rather them do that behind closed doors, not sit behind the podium and whine about their lack of practices, which is why they lost to the freaking Broncos, who kicked six field goals and beat you at home. Like, that's just no excuse. I don't care if you haven't practiced. You should be able to go out there with Cam Newton in your defense and beat the Broncos. As a fan, as someone who's watched the Patriots for a long time, that rubbed me the wrong way. I just hated that kind of the attitude after the game. Well, whoa, what do you expect? We didn't get to practice. We didn't practice. So we weren't going to win. I just, I hated it. I think Belichick was trying to send a message to the league. I think that, I think this was a bit about the tension that's been sort of brewing between him and the NFL. I don't think he believes that the NFL is setting up its teams to put a good product on the field, especially the ones that get impacted by COVID. Yeah. This goes back to the Chiefs game when the Patriots were forced to fly with 22 players having been in close contact with Cam Newton. And this goes back to the Chiefs facility, which forced the Patriots into like an 1,000 square foot locker room, which is like 60 men, maybe more, <laughs> um, all in this small space. Sounds like a great time. Um, in the middle of a pandemic. It's, I mean, that is just almost textbook what you should not do, according to the CDC. Uh, it's it's like 
a bar basically where people are in a space for about an hour or so or like a concert (laughs) yeah oh it's worse than i mean i guess concerts are generally closed air but this this is like low ceilings like just no unless they've got hepa filters in there and just not a safe space for players so basically what i'm getting at is unfortunately fans probably don't like it but what belichick's doing is is really speaking to the league and being like you guys didn't make this a fair fight you know i'm dealing with quarterback turnover i mean that's the biggest thing really is that his quarterback needs to practice and all his quarterback got was a walkthrough and the patriots as much as they have a foundation in their playbook they do a lot of teaching new plays and adjusting new plays on a weekly basis so if you're trying to install a playbook that's that's sort of tailored toward beating the Broncos, even if you have two weeks to do it virtually, you have to actually walk through the plays. Newton didn't get a chance to do that. He didn't get a chance to like time routes with his receivers. Uh, he was failing to anticipate you know, receivers out of their breaks. He was clearly brain freezing and second guessing himself. And the results were pretty darn disastrous. You know, and, and the Titans, we see this as sort of like a one for one situation. Well, the Titans missed time and that, and they've their offense has been great. The Titans also have had Ryan Tannehill on the roster for 18 months now. They had ample time to work with him both last year and while this year has been limited, the fact that they were able to sort of set a foundation with him previously, you know, with a full offseason even in 2019, I think that's influential. Their offense has been built around him, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown, and all those guys are still there. The, the Patriots offense is built around Cam Newton and Julian Edelman, and, and Newton's brand new to this offense and had a shortened offseason, and Edelman's been totally diminished by probably a knee injury. That's what he's been listed with. So, yeah, again, it, maybe it's not a good look from the fans' perspective, but I think it's a clear power play where Bill Belichick's like, the league's not being fair to us. I forgot. The Titans also were practicing on that high school football field, uh, you know, True. illegally. Yes. Yeah, we got to give them credit for that, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> the Broncos got bailed out by these turnovers in the third quarter. Late in the third quarter, the, uh, the Newton interception and then the Izzo fumble. I thought that was the turning point of the game. And I just feel like the Patriots, Henry, they got to figure out the tight end position. That's like the last straw. Izzo dropping that ball was just like that was the ball game right there. We got to find a better tight end than that. And I, I don't care who it is. Like they gotta, they gotta make a move or do something because the tight end position is like inexcusable right now. Yeah, it's such a mess. I'm like, I'm in disbelief that we're still talking about tight end and and receiver so much. It's like, how do they expect the team to excel in this situation? Gronk was the best tight end they've had, and and then since he's been gone, it's just nothing. Even in his final year, I mean, he was good. I think he had six, almost 700 yards. But he wasn't like a great tight end. So even in his his own diminished form, the Patriots were kind of like to a degree coming up, I guess, at league average, probably or slightly above average for a tight end. But then the fall off from even that has been tremendous with Ben Watson and Matt Lacoste. And it's been a terrible, terrible, terrible. And then this year. Just Ryan Izzo, basically. It's strange to think that two third-round picks in Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene have no targets, and Keene has zero snaps. So it's just it's just bizarre. I think Patriots fans may have seen this. Probably not, because like it's not their full-time job to peruse Twitter for Patriots things. Yeah. But there were some photos going around Twitter about Devin Asiasi being open in the flat a bunch in the fourth quarter, and... You know, I think that's sort of a misleading 
image because Newton wasn't thinking about the flat when he was trying to mount a comeback. He was thinking about pushing the ball vertically downfield. But even that, Asiasi was actually a pretty good vertical threat in college. I think I can understand why Newton's not targeting Asiasi in the flat. Why not Why not have Asiasi running vertical routes so that they've got a big presence who's good at pass catching downfield? You know, the answer is there really isn't one, right? We don't, I guess... I guess the Patriots just don't think he can do it. But my question is, do they really think that Ryan Izzo can? Because at this point, like, why not try something different? And I, I, I'm not just saying that because of the fumble. I'm saying that because you can just look at Ryan Izzo for these first six weeks and these first five games, and you can just see he's he's not good enough. And basically their approach with, with Nikhil Harry this year, for example, has not been merit-based. It's been... Let's just give him a volume and hopefully he'll do something with it. I think they should keep that up, honestly, because they need Harry to be better. And I think they also should start doing that with either Devin Asiasi or Dalton Keene. Just give him volume, start targeting him, and see if he can do anything. And if it fails, then you, I guess you have to go back to Izzo or you trade for someone better. The fumble was kind of the last straw. They got to do something different. So if they don't this this weekend, I'll be very upset. And speaking of being upset, oh man, seeing Jimmy G back in Foxborough is going to be a little upsetting. I got to admit it. Henry and I will talk about Jimmy G's return coming up next in our final segment. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. Here's what you need to know to bet on the Week 7 Sunday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Las Vegas Raiders. The Bucs are coming off their most impressive win of the season, beating the Green Bay Packers 38-10 in Week 6 to move to 4-2. The Raiders, who are 3-2, are coming off a Week 6 bye after stunning the Kansas City Chiefs with a 40-32 road win in Week 5. The Buccaneers come in as three-point road favorites. Las Vegas Raiders, their home dogs, plus three, over under a 53-and-a-half. Buccaneers, they got a win by four points to cover that spread. I'm back in the Raiders. They stay within three points. They might even win outright. I'm going to put a little sprinkle on the plus 130 money line for the home Raiders. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more. With all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook, subscribe to Bet Up and Podcast with new episodes every Friday morning. Be sure to rate and review. All right, Henry, I still remember the day Jimmy G made that start. I think it was against the Arizona Cardinals. Tom Brady was suspended at the time. We, we, we won't mention why, but Brady was suspended, right? And Jimmy G just, he makes this gorgeous, long, deep pass for a touchdown. And I'm, I hop out of my, off my couch and I'm like, oh boy, Jimmy G, I'm loving it, loving it. And then he just slices and dices the Dolphins that next week before the uh, shoulder injury. So I, I still haven't come down from that. I've loved Jimmy G ever since that moment. I'm like, oh my God, he's so good. He's so freaking good. His stock's a little bit down right now with the 49ers. A guy can dream that someday he'll be back with the Pats. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but what do you think about this? Jimmy G back in Foxborough against Belichick. It should be, surprisingly, a, a pretty solid test for Bill Belichick because... Because of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, that's the truth. Because um, what the Patriots do well on defense doesn't actually 
defend San Francisco well. So the Patriots have sort of a choice. Do they take do they take a guy like Garoppolo who has his weaknesses? What they've been doing for so long is put defensive backs in droves on the field. Adrian Phillips, the safety, is actually just a linebacker. All of a the sudden, they keep three cornerbacks on the field at all times and. Usually it's three safeties because of Phillips. So the question is, can they keep doing that against a 49ers offense that absolutely pounds the air out of the ball and at an efficient clip? I think to a degree, it's like you look at Jimmy Garoppolo and you're like, well, what do you really need all the defensive backs on the field against him? (laughs) Right, because he doesn't throw it down the field. He just throws it laterally. (laughs) So, So against Patrick Mahomes, all those defensive backs make sense. This is sort of a roundabout way of saying, like, I think if the Patriots switch to a heavier defensive front, particularly front seven, it will be sort of indicative of what Bill Belichick thinks about this version of Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, if Belichick's like, okay, we can afford to take some defensive backs off the field against this guy because the run is more important, it will show that Belichick is basically schematically acknowledging Garoppolo is limited. So I guess I guess the question is, do the Patriots have the linebackers to do that? Yeah, that is a great question. And we don't really know because Chase Winovich is going to play more this week. I would hope so. Uh, Where was he? Yeah, he only got 22 snaps. It was very strange. I think that's in part because the Patriots just knew the Broncos weren't really throwing the ball much, that, that they had this lead and they were being uber conservative. So all they were doing was protecting it with Philip Lindsay, which was working. And I would have argued that Chase Winovich is just like one of their best defensive players, no matter the situation. So you just put him on the field. But Belichick clearly thought he was more of a situational pass rusher against Denver, apparently. But in Fernie Jennings, one of the rookies that the Patriots drafted out of Alabama, he actually got a career high, I think, high 20s of, of defensive snaps. That's a good sign for him. They might they might use him more. Josh Uche is actually eligible to return from IR this week along with David Andrews. So Patriots practice will be indicative of whether those guys are coming off IR. If they're at practice on Wednesday, there's a good chance they could play on Sunday. All that said, Uche was actually a healthy scratch for a little while. So hard to say if he can actually have a role. Uh, you know, Brandon Copeland has barely played on defense, I think largely because he hasn't been very good. Right. And then we saw Jawan Bentley have a great game last week, sort of surprisingly. So there's opportunities for linebackers to play. We said earlier in the season, why aren't these linebackers playing? Well, I think this is the opportunity really for the Patriots to use them and for those guys to justify using them because we're now in week seven. These rookies should be prepared, even in a limited offseason. They should be prepared to contribute to a, to a degree. Henry, appreciate your analysis, man. Have a great week, all right? Yeah, likewise. Take care. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.